I would like us to pick up this morning, if we could, um, where we left off, where, where I left off two weeks ago. So last week there was Scott sharing, um, but when I finished the message two weeks ago, finished in Romans 11 and Romans 12, and I'd like to start there uh, this morning. So if you would turn in or tap in your Bibles to the end of Romans 11, and as you turn there, I do want to enthusiastically commend Scott's message from last week to you. It's on the Hillview website, it's on the Hillview YouTube channel. If you missed it, I do really encourage you to check that out. And also just to say, we, I, think we, I think we did have a fruitful time on Zoom last Sunday evening. A uh, couple of changes you might have picked up there. We're, we're starting at 8.30, not 8.15, just to give a bit more space from parents coming home from Ascend. And then the other change, it wasn't mentioned there, is um, we had originally planned to take seven sessions to go through that, which was basically two chapters a week. But we felt that actually it would be better to try and con- contain that into five sessions. Uh, so if you have missed last week, um, you know, you can, you can come along tonight. Probably after tonight, you've probably missed that opportunity, um, really. Although if you're passionate to be there, you're welcome, of course. But I would encourage you to consider uh, if you'd like to come along for that time. Thanks so much. Uh, I'd like to read from the end of Romans 11. We'll get to Romans 12 in a moment. But it's just good to start with these words of praise and honor to God. So Paul has uh, been laying out for chapter after chapter this rich and beautiful and profound and yes, often in Romans, often mysterious, often challenging teaching on the righteousness and the love and mercy and saving power of God. Amazing chapters 1 to 11. And now Paul is about to transition in his letter And as he gets to that point, it almost seems to me as if he's just overwhelmed by all that God has revealed to him. And there's this outpouring of praise. And I just pray that these words will help us in our posture before God as we come to this time. This is God's word. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That word amen is certainly very fitting there. The word amen is is both a, a declaration that something is true and it's a, a cry of a desired embrace for us to know truth of that reality in our own lives. So when we're saying amen to these words, we're saying, yes, God, that's true. That is who you are. How deep are the riches of your wisdom and knowledge? Yes, God. Thank you, God. And we're saying, may it be. Let that reality soak through my entire being. 
Let my moves this coming week be shaped and governed by this reality. Paul says, Amen. Every time we read the scriptures, we should come with a disposition disposition saturated in the truth and reality of Romans 11, 33 to 36. When we read the scriptures, we should come humbly, open-handed, surrendered to God, praying for the grace and the Holy Spirit granted wisdom to see Jesus and his word clearly. Recognizing in that the finitude of our own understanding and the sinful inclination that we all have to choose for ourselves the path of least resistance rather than the path where we would take up our cross to follow the Jesus way. We all have our blind spots, don't we? We all have areas where we're confident we're right and not much is maybe likely going to change that. We all have our different battles with the, the flesh, the sinful nature still at war within us. Yes, for all who are in Christ Jesus, the sinful nature, the fleshly nature within us is a defeated foe, but still until our last day is raging and attacking and provoking even as a defeated enemy. And in those unique battles, we all have different ways when we read the scriptures, some in which we might feel encouraged. And we can, I think, rightly feel encouraged as we read some parts and thank God for his grace in our lives and the change that he's brought about. But then we also have different aspects and areas of the scripture, which if we're honest, we just wish weren't there. And the question is, will we, acknowledging that reality, will we come humbly before God and fear him? And trust him and submit to him. Even if that puts us squarely at odds with the powers of the day around about us, even if that brings tensions or heartache in important and cherished relationships, in friends, in family, in workplaces even if that means we are hated for Jesus' sake, will we submit to God and to his word? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. May we come humbly before him. And then also, may we ask for help. I wonder how you would respond if I stood up one Sunday and said these words on the screen. You are not broken. You are not sick. You are not wrong. You do not need to be fixed, cured, or converted because who you are is perfect. I suspect 
you would be surprised if I said that. To be honest, I hope you would be surprised if I said that. You know, like, let me just, let me just plead with you right now. Do not take a screenshot and post this online. Say, this is what Martin was preaching this morning. That's not going to be helpful. Because, exact language aside, we'll come to that. This is not a true depiction of any human being on the face of the planet just now. Just now. And as we think, as we do here at church, (laughs) about the story of how and why God made this world and what he desires for us, this is not a message that will help us in finding peace with God and peace in this world. The message of the Bible is that God existed in perfect wholeness, in goodness and peace, and in his generosity from the overflow of that beautiful reality pouring out, God created this stunning universe, even human beings like you and like me, made in the image of God, created for relationship, created for fruitfulness, and to enjoy the perfect wholeness and goodness and peace that God had shared with the cosmos. But of course, the story of the Bible The story of humanity, the story of my life, and I think of all our lives, is that we reject our creator God. We reject his goodness, and we fall into, the Bible talks about slavery to sin, captivity of sin. It's that rejection of the source of life himself, that rejection of God and his ways and his life. And if We believe that as it is laid out through the pages of the scriptures. The cry of all humanity should be, we need help. We need help. And I hope that's a tone that you hear regularly, not just on Sundays, but in your own relationships, in your own small groups, and and so on. We are broken. We are wrong. We do need to be fixed. We do need to be converted, not just patched up, but transformed, even from death to life. Because why? Because we're not perfect. None of us. And and we need help. You'll notice I maybe skipped over a couple of the concepts listed there. I'm going to come to them now because we need help because along with this sin disorder, came into the world. I, and I want you to know I'm speaking now on a, on a grand cosmic scale. I'm not, I'm not referring in this moment to any one particular person's struggles, but I'm, I'm speaking about the reality that with sin came the trampling of God's perfect creation. It was marred. It was disordered. It was spoiled. And so because of that, the reality is our bodies do get sick. Creation does groan. And our desires and longings and inclinations are not always as God intended them to be. From the 
grand ambitions we have as we look to the coming decades in our life, to the hour-by-hour appetites that we can become slaves to, from the the good aims which can become ultimate aims, such such as success in career or success for our kids, to the times when we give ourselves over to situations which we know are not for our good. And yes, friends, as we are born into and grow up a world groaning under the burden of sin, we should acknowledge how that may corrupt whatever desires, feelings, and longings we may have regarding our sexuality and perhaps also our gender. This world, as it is now, is not how God intended it to be. We do need a remedy. We do need a cure. We do need a healer. Every single one of us. His name is Jesus, by the way. How beautiful is the name of Jesus? We're going to get there in this message. So I'm, I'm submitting to you that the message of the scriptures is very different to that message up there. Those words were said a couple of months ago, uh, Tuesday the 15th of March at Holyrood during a sitting of the Scottish Parliament as part of a debate regarding a report by the Equalities Committee recommending a, quote, comprehensive ban on conversion practices, also known as conversion therapy. If you've been following the news, you'll know this has been in Westminster and also in Holyrood recently. These words were said by Gillian Mackay, MSP, and then repeated verbatim at the close of the debate by one of our regional MSPs here in the northeast of Scotland, Maggie Chapman. Now, please hear me. Because I have quoted them, I think it's just right to say I don't know Gillian Mackay or Maggie Chapman. I have zero reason to doubt or question their integrity or their heart to help those who have experienced what does sound like, I read the whole report on this thing, and it does sound like there are many who have experienced, frankly, horrific abuse under some of these practices. And I want to acknowledge that clearly the aim of these words is to show love and care for those who have been mistreated and are dealing and are still dealing with all sorts of trauma. And I honor and celebrate that aim in these words here. And and just to be clear, because I've talked about it as an aside, I would never be in favor of any culture or any practice that would seek to pressure or to force or to shame anyone into any change of belief, identity, or behavior. And because I've put these words up, I also just think it's important just to flag as an aside that in the debate in question I'm referencing back in March, there was a very significant focus across all different parties of the importance of maintaining religious freedom in any change to legislation that would be made. Now, my own personal view is that from some of the other wording that was used in the debate, I've got some concerns, to be honest, about how that would play out in reality because of how broad the scope of these proposed changes are. But it was clear that across the whole parliament, they recognized the importance 
of maintaining religious freedom. The point I'm making here is not about so-called conversion therapy. I'm, I'm highlighting this quote. Why? A couple of reasons. Firstly, because I think it strikingly captures the spirit of the age. Not least with this current matter regarding how we should consider our lives and bodies in light of gender identity struggles. How many companies in an attempt to look caring and compassionate, so you'll give them your money, by the way, make no mistake about that, how many companies are going out of their way to make statements like this at the moment? Not just companies, politicians, social media, magazines, education. This is not a controversial statement in the world we live in today. It captures the spirit of the age. And the second reason I'm highlighting it follows on from that. Because it stands in such stark contrast to a vitally important Christian reality. Namely, that we are all far from perfect. We do need help. We do need a savior. And if we can, by God's grace... Come to the point of surrender and repentance and trust in Jesus, perhaps maybe even this morning. All that hope and life and healing and wholeness, which they're shooting for and aiming after here, will be ours through Jesus. But ignoring that, ignoring Him, and instead simply preaching this message in a vacuum that is not loving. It's not loving. It may well be completely intended to be loving. It may sound nice, but it does not help us deal with the sober reality that confronts every single human being on this earth. So it's not loving if it leaves us thinking that everything's okay, just exactly as I am, with no help from God, no Savior needed. The Scriptures point to another way. As we continue to seek to live faithfully as exiles traveling through this foreign land that we find ourselves in. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you. Um, Many commentators think that the ESV is a little soft and a little light here. I think Paul is saying, I urge you. I urge you. By the mercies of God, we're going to come back to this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship, or as the NIV puts it, your true and proper worship. So this passage is telling us that true and right and full and proper rounded worship that we should offer up to God in light of all that he has done, that's the therefore 
in light of all that he has done and offered to us in Christ, that true worship involves what we do with our bodies. These bodies, as we put it two weeks ago, frankly, drastically understating it, these bodies that matter to God. These bodies that are sacred, given to us, knit together by God, existing even like a temple within which God can reside as we go about our lives this week. Incredible, right? Paul could have said this differently if he was wanting to get at what kind of worship we're called to. He he could have said, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Bring all that you are. Bring your dreams and desires before God. But Paul is clearer than that, and he's starker than that. Paul is urging the church of Jesus Christ to offer up not just ideas, not just emotions or intentions, but our bodies, our whole selves, our hands and our feet, our tongues and our tummies, the thoughts of our mind, the stirrings of our feelings. He's calling us to bring before God the aspects of our bodies that we may be quite satisfied and happy about and those that we might be quite devastated about. And we spoke about that reality a couple of weeks ago. And yes, friends, also, God is calling us to offer up to him in surrender and trust and devotion the private parts of our bodies too. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, our chromosomal and anatomical and hormonal realities that God has given us. We are to bring all of who God has made us to be and offer it to him in worship. This is to be, it says there, a living sacrifice. This is hard. (laughs) That doesn't sound too appealing, does it? And maybe just that language has become so familiar to us if you've grown up in church that we forget this, this very stark, brutal language. A living sacrifice. Paul is saying that we need this daily reminder that because of our union to Jesus, we have died to the old way of living. That is to say that in our own strength, by our own wisdom, for our own purposes, that way is gone. So day by day, in how we offer God our whole being, we're reminding ourselves of that. We're sacrificing that which is still clinging on to our own way to God day by day. We're to offer it as living sacrifice, holy, it says there which is to say that we are to be set apart for God. We are to live as those who are consecrated, as those who are pure and distinct for him. That will impact how we cope with the struggles that we feel. And this offering is to be acceptable, or perhaps better, pleasing to God. Think of the fragrant aromas that the offerings of God's ancient people were to make as a sign of that which was beautiful, offered up to God. So our lives should be presented as a pleasing, beautiful, acceptable aroma before him. And here now in verse 2, if we hadn't felt this already, 
Paul lays out for us the tension that we should expect to feel as we live as God's people in this land. Do not be conformed to this world. And, and you know where the potential areas of compromise are there. We're all different. We all have different leanings and likes and dislikes. What does that look like for you to not be conformed to this world? Recognizing that this world stands in stark contrast and frankly, often stark opposition to the way of Jesus. The question is this, what steps do we need to take to guard against being totally shaped by and aligned with the patterns and practices of this world. So as we pray for this reality to come about, and I I hope you do, let me ask this. What influences are we giving ourselves to? Who are we giving authority to in our lives? A huge part of this, friends, is unquestionably the media that we are consuming. Whether that's the news, websites, podcasts, books, social media, and so on. And I do have to say, some of those are different than others. There are those that we can choose and seek out and have those speak into our lives. And then there are those that we need to guard against because we are passively consuming them. Whether that's what's on our TVs, and our radios, and certainly in this day of unbelievably, unbelievably advanced algorithms, we should be wary of the impact social media can have. This is something that Preston Sprinkle touches on in his book. Correlation or causation, who knows? But the numbers of people who are facing severe trauma and struggle with issues of gender in their lives and those who are caught up in hour after hour after hour of social media, there is a huge relation there. And we need to explore that carefully. The question I'm asking us to consider is, who are we inviting into our lives? Effectively to disciple us, to teach us, to inform us about what this world is. If the sum total of our lives before God is 90 minutes, on a Sunday, and you think how many hours upon hours that we are filling our minds with whatever the world around about us would deem relevant and important, it will be extremely difficult for us to avoid being conformed to this world. I think we need to hear the clear command of God on this, and particularly given this study that we're in, particularly as it relates to sex and gender. We looked briefly at God's design for this a couple of weeks ago. In light of how God has ordained for this world to be, we must not, sisters and brothers, be conformed to the message that this world lifts up as normative and right and good regarding the complete autonomy and self-determination we should operate with when it comes to what we do with our bodies. We must not be conformed 
to the message that this world is piling on us. Instead, we should do not be conformed. Instead, we should be transformed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If being conformed to the pattern of this world is what we should avoid, this is what we should chase after, what we should pursue. And it's an incredible calling. This word transformed, it's exactly the same word as the word transfigured, metamorphosed, just as Jesus was transformed and shone with the blazing light of God's glory, so this is the destiny for every follower of Jesus. And I love how both spectacular this is and how Paul puts it, and also how gradual this is. A whole person transformation comes by gradual renewing of our minds. This is about the way we think. This is about our moral consciousness before God. It's one reason, I think, by the way, Paul's particular here in speaking about the renewal of our minds. Some of the Preston Sprinkle book is really complicated. We have to engage with these things, consider them, and especially when it begins to speak about what does this look like to show love in this context. It's really complicated. It's really complicated. We need to pray for the renewing of our minds. The other place Paul uses this word is in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There it is again. It's spectacular and it's gradual. One degree of glory to the next until that final complete promotion. This is where every follower of Jesus is headed. We may not always see the progress we would like, but hold on, hold on. Take steps to renew your mind, for God to renew your mind day by day. Open your heart to the work that God desires to do. Second Corinthians 3, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, its gift to be received by us. Thank you, God, that the mess I am, that, that, that for me to be changed from glory to glory is not something I can do. It's something that God does by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, indeed, brought about as we minister together and share in fellowship together, us with God together in that beautiful place of closeness and intimacy. God changes us little by little. We cannot receive this transforming work from God if we are pushing in a different direction, if we're looking away from Jesus, if, if we're pushing against the design that God has put in place for this world. We need to surrender to what God has ordained. It's as we, with unveiled face, behold Jesus and all his truth and all his glory that this shift happens. It's as we day by day seek to understand God's good and acceptable and perfect will that this change will come about. Brother, sister, may we be transformed in the renewing of our minds.
And as we do this, the rest of Romans 12 is unlocked for us. Don't worry, we're not preaching a sermon on the rest of Romans 12. But we see there from verses three to eight, participation in Jesus' church. We see from verses nine to 13 of the care that we have for one another in Jesus' church. And then we, we hear of the love for those around about us in our communities, especially those who are in need, especially those who live differently from the way God has called us to live. Yes, we're strangers, foreigners, aliens, exiles in this strange land. Yes, that can be difficult, but look how we are called to love. I'm just gonna read these verses. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, full of pride, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not just some. Try and do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is so much. It's not lost on me, dear friends. There is so much in this message and the last two Sunday sermons that would be considered hateful by so many in our world, perhaps by some here or some watching online. But may our lives tell a different story. A story of love, a story of peaceableness, a story of kindness and care, weeping with those who are struggling and so on. How does this happen? By the mercies of God. Any good that is in us, any measure of surrender we can find to present all that we are before God in worship, any strength we can muster to avoid being carried along in the currents of this age, any transformation we will know, any capacity to communicate and live in a loving way, living peaceably with all, it all comes by the mercies of God. We need to know his kindness. We need to know his forgiveness. We need to know his embrace and restoration, though we have all erred and stumbled so much as we think about how we've engaged with these types of matters. The call ultimately, dear friends, is come to Jesus. He is our hope. There's something so good and right 
about the heart behind this quote that we read earlier. I mean, this is, this is needed to, to know hope like this, to know acceptance like this, to know peace and wholeness like this. I do not in any way mock or deride the motivation behind those words from our two MSPs. I just do crucially think that they are tragically incomplete. Our hope is found in the mercies of Jesus. And that changes everything. Through Jesus, we can say, in Christ, you're not broken. In Christ, sickness will not have the last word. In Christ, your wrongs are covered. In Christ, you do not need to be fixed, cured, or converted because in Christ and in Christ alone, who you are is perfect. It all comes back to the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I want to read this benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thank you, God, for your mercies. Help us honor you with how we live in this world, with the decisions we make, with how we show your love to those who do not know of the glorious, eternal hope we have in Jesus Christ. Lead us on in your mercy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.